Hello, friends. My name is Jonathan Bryant. I am the host of the Edge of the Airy podcast. I have the privilege of serving as the Chief Administrator of Lincoln Charter. The purpose of this podcast is to highlight some of our amazing staff and stakeholders that are with us at Lincoln Charter and to share the college experiences of our guests in the course of our conversation. We all know that college preparation is the goal of Lincoln Charter. It's important to know that I'm a former middle school social studies teacher, so I'm always interested in getting to know others better, sharing compelling stories, learning from the past, and finding out more about the individuals that make Lincoln Charter a great school and an amazing community. So, where does Edge of the Airy come from? You likely know that an eagle's nest is an airy, which obviously has significant meaning for our eagle nation. I intend for this podcast to give you a perspective from the Lincoln Charter community. Therefore, each episode will come to you from the edge of the airy. As you likely know, Lincoln Charter is one of the oldest and largest public charter schools in North Carolina. We were founded in 1998, and we have a K-12 campus in Lincolnton and in Denver. So let's get to today's guest. Today, I will be speaking with the simply amazing Trisha Amos, who is our reigning Teacher of the Year for 2022-2023. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Ms. Amos. And uh, if you can start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your interests, and uh, anything that you think our listeners might like to know. All right. Well, I've lived in this area in Denver, North Carolina for the past 13 years, uh, raised and uh, lived in the north for a very long time, northeastern Pennsylvania. And when we moved down here, I've been teaching now at the school for 10 years. I've been in education for about 20. And um, I've been married for 19 years to a guy that I fell in love with in junior high. So it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we have three beautiful children. I have three kids, um, one in each building here at Lincoln Charter this year, which is going to be very different for me. So I have my oldest, Chael, is going to be a ninth grader this year. I've got uh, my second is Rocky, and he is a seventh grader this year. And my little one, Ginger, is going to be a third grader this year. Proud parents. Yes. Very good. Keep us all on our toes, and it's job security for all of us as educators, <laughs> too, right? So. Exactly. Um, and uh, you mentioned Pennsylvania, um, Virginia. I think you were taught in Virginia. I as did. Well. I taught in Fairfax County for mm-hmm. six years Great. before we moved down here. And you're down here long enough to get your, your official North Carolina papers now, I think. Exactly, so. yes. It's good. Um, would you like to tell us anything about interests or passions, anything else that you that, that gets your motor going in the morning? Sure. Um, one of my biggest passions is just try to connect to people. I am very relationship-based. Mm-hmm. Every sort of personality test that I've taken or what number am I on the Enneagram, all those kind of fun things, mm-hmm. everything uh, points me towards people, probably because my I was raised in a family um, where my parents were always in ministry and always trying to connect to people. So I love people no matter um, who they are. And 
Um, I love to find super great deals when I shop. That's one of my passions. <laughs> Helps me relieve my stress. If I can find something on clearance for a good deal, it just gets me excited. It doesn't get my husband excited because I'm spending lots of money. But <laughs> well, you're saving. Money yeah, I, I am saving lots clearance. of money. That yes, that's that's my whole deal. Sure. Um, I love watching Hallmark movies because they always are happy at the end. I can predict it. I don't have to worry about you know tragedies happening. So that's how I kind of relax as well. I love to hang out with my family. I like to work out. And um, as a teacher, my goal is to try to make learning fun and make connections with students. Well, every time I can say firsthand that every time I've been in your classroom, your students are active, engaged, very obviously enjoying themselves. So you are leveraging that uh, history of relationships and that importance that sounds like you got from your parents to uh, to really connect with your kids. So that's great. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do at Lincoln Charter, maybe what you've done at Lincoln Charter in addition to being the, to having that esteemed teacher of the year uh, mantle and title. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the first nine years that I worked at Lincoln Charter, I was a sixth grade language arts teacher and I I've always loved math a lot more um, because as a student, I was a struggling reader. Um, and so that was always a challenge for me. I think gave me a good connection with those kids who struggled with reading. And um, so I kind of got into a groove and enjoyed mm-hmm. it for those nine years. And then this past year, I wanted a little something different, a little break from grading essays until the wee hours of the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I switched to math uh, where there's only one right answer. You can get to it in a bunch of different ways, but um, it's kind of helped out in the grading aspect a little bit. And I've really enjoyed that as well. So I've been teaching math for the past year and I'll be teaching math again this year for sixth grade. Interesting. I did not know that you were a struggling reader. How did you how did you overcome that? Um, actually, it was <laughs> the funny thing is I would always, I was a very fluent reader. I could read fluently very well, but by the time I got to the end of the page, I couldn't remember what I read. Mm -hmm. So it actually was through my educational experience as I taught, I became a better reader. So it was not something when I would relax at nighttime, I would usually pick up Sudoku and do math and numbers and find patterns and not really pick up a book to read. But as I became a teacher, I was like, I had to learn how to stay engaged. What were some of the tricks that I used to stay engaged? And then I shared them. And then some of my colleagues, when I first started um, as a teacher in Fairfax County, I was just just blessed with working with some reading specialists. And so they started showing me some of the tricks that they used with their students. And so I just started absorbing it. And that's how I became a better reader. So, so there's hope out there for anyone that may be listening to this who might be struggling with reading. Correct. I told some of the students in my camp yesterday that even though I teach math, if you ever struggle with reading, there's a lot of things that I can do to try to help you out too. So cool. you can go to a bunch of the teachers, but I'm always there to help. That kind of, that kind of is, uh, reminds me of the uh, saying or whatever that is about as a teacher, you learn more than your students. So Absolutely. sounds like, <laughs> sounds like it's one of those anecdotes that proves that out. A little bit. That's great. I know that the the whole community has appreciated you being here in whatever capacity, but we're definitely excited that you moved over to math recently and 
I'm looking forward to a lot of successful years from here on out. Can you talk about anything that you appreciate about the school? Sure. My um, some of the biggest reasons that I even pursued a job here was because uh, this school has a great reputation in the community. When I first moved into the area, my brother said, that's the best school around. You got to try to get a job there. So uh, I that's what I did. I pursued a job here. And the things that I've grown to love and why it's so respected and loved is because of the families. The families are so supportive. Um, when you have good families, you have great students. And really, I mean, everybody really just wants to succeed. And so parents are willing to always work with you. I can pick up the phone and, you know, call somebody and Hey, is something I noticed. It's a smaller community, so you get to know everybody really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a very supportive PTO. Um, the administrators have been great to work for. They really don't push you in a box where I find sometimes when you work in bigger counties, there's a certain formula you have to go by in order to teach these standards. And I really feel like I have a lot of freedom to teach what I feel is successful in my classroom. And so I don't feel boxed in. I feel like we have a lot of freedom with creativity, think outside the box. And so it's, it's been a joy and that's what I love the most about the school. Shout out to all of our parents. Yes. (laughs) All of our parent listeners. (laughs) Shout out to to you all. We, we, uh, we could not do it without you Mm -hmm. for sure. That's great. Tell us a little bit about your college experience, if you don't mind. Sure. So like I said, I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. My dad used to recruit for a small Bible college called Clark Summit University there. And so it was kind of a a no brainer for me um, because I had a break in tuition. So Mm -hmm. that's where I pursued my education. And so I started off there, got um, solid friendships, solid education there. And then I pursued my master's later when I moved to Northern Virginia. That's where I went to George Mason University and Mm -hmm. got my master's in the arts of education. Okay. And what, and what was your major in uh, undergrad? Um, so I just bachelor's of science. And then I also had a, another degree also in the theology. Okay. With the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Very good. If you can get a tuition break, take advantage of it. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, you heard it first here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Before you started college, is there anything that you wish that you knew prior to jumping in with both feet? So I think probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I took before I started college was to try to get as many college credits that I could before Mm -hmm. I started and to be well-rounded and just involved in a lot of things. And that's what I did. I was involved in, you know, the choir and, you know, theater things. I was involved in sports, basketball, et cetera. And also I um, tried to take some college courses before, which wasn't as popular as it is now, but I did still take some courses and also in the summer to try to lessen my load while I was in college so that I could still be involved in the extracurricular without having such a heavy load throughout the year. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good advice. I know a lot of our, um, we've, we've had several guests that have talked about that and that's something that a number of our high schoolers take, have taken advantage of, mm-hmm. alumni have taken advantage of, so good advice there is there can you talk to i'm i would imagine that we'll have some some listeners who are interested in potentially pursuing athletics in college mm-hmm. do you have any words of wisdom for for those uh, individuals or um, any details that you'd be uh, willing to share? Sure. When I was an athlete in college, I think some of the 
reasons that I was successful is I had accountability partners. Like, first of all, your coaches are going to be really invested in your lives anyway, because they want you to be making good grades so mm-hmm. they can stay on the team. Sure. Um, but I think another big part was just having those friends in classes that were like-minded that, Hey, let's stay up and study for this. So you had study groups that were working together, people who were pushing you, um, within your team as well. I think that even though you may be on an athletics team, it's also really wise to have a lot of balance in your life with a lot of different groups of people. And um, I did that in high school and I carried it over to college and that was really beneficial. I always try to tell my students when I do little character lessons or whatever about friendships, how important it is to have balance. You don't want to be just associated with one group. So I just didn't want to be known as like, oh, she's on the basketball team. She's you know, a basketball player. I want to be known as someone who, you know, was friends. And I, you know, sang in a, in a group that traveled. I wanted to be part of the theater group. I want to be part of the kids who just wanted to study and stay inside. Mm-hmm. I want to be part of the people, who, you know. So I think um, something I even said at the eighth grade graduation was make sure that you are supporting each other, going to different things. Um, but those accountability friendships that like, hey, we need to study for this. Let's sit down. Those people who come in to make sure that you're up and you're going to your classes. I had a friend who would help me out with that because I was so tired. Sometimes I would hit the snooze and <laughs> not even realize, but I had a friend who would always make sure, hey, it's time for a 7 a.m. class. Let's go. So yep. I think making those friendships that will keep you accountable, you know, like iron sharpens iron. That's the way to go. Great advice. I might bring you to my house to have a conversation <laughs> with my two kids. Uh, um, no, that's great. That's, that's really solid advice. And I, I can imagine that the more things that you're involved in in college, time management is such a huge, it's such a huge part of that. And but having good friends that are holding you accountable and and just making sure that you're surrounding yourself with uh, with other folks that have similar goals. Is, Absolutely. Is, is and I think there that you have to figure out your system. That's also what I preach in sixth grade. Um, especially when I was a language arts teacher, I found that it was super important for students to find what works for you. Maybe the system that I'm using is not like I, I work well with a paper calendar. Mm-hmm. I still work with a paper calendar. That's what works for me. But some kids don't ever open a paper agenda. So what's going to work for you? Where will you see the things that your to-do list? Is it putting it on your phone? Is it putting a virtual sticky note on your Chromebook? Is it an actual sticky note on your Chromebook? So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, we have to find out what's working and if it's not working, let's try a different system. So establishing those routines in, in middle school is really important because it'll carry you through. So, well, I could have benefited from you as a middle school teacher um, <laughs> because I'm still figuring out some of my systems. <laughs> so, but that's, that's, that's great advice too, to make sure everybody takes notes differently and Absolutely. that's uh, it has to work for your brain. doesn't have to work for anybody else's brain. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything as you reflect back in your college years that prepared you for what you're doing now? Probably the thing that prepared me the most was actually my student teaching experience. Um, My dad always said, you know, experience isn't always the best teacher. Sometimes it's the hardest teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, You can learn a lot from listening. And I think I struggled with listening in college. I wish I would have valued some of my classes a little bit more, spoke less, listened more. (laughs) It's a good thing to do, even as adults. But um, I really 
those experiences in student teaching, my mom was a teacher as well. She was a third grade teacher. I thought I was just going to follow right in those footsteps. And so I had a student teaching experience in sixth grade and in third grade. Um, sixth grade, I fell in love with. I loved the kids. I loved the age group. And then I had third graders. And even though it was a more challenging class, that age group was so much more dependent. Um, I feel like God develops and designs us all to have a certain niche and we all have different talents and strengths. And I, my, I give kudos to all the teachers that teach third grade and below because I could never do it. And I also learned that through my substituting experience as well, that these are the grade levels that um, don't bring me quite as much joy. They um, just, it was outside of my comfort zone where I just could connect and flourish as a teacher more mm-hmm. with the older grades. So that's that was probably my best experience is it just opened my eyes to what I felt like I was designed to do. Uh, tell me that quote from your dad again. Experience is not always the he best. He said, teacher. experience isn't always the best teacher. It can be the hardest teacher. So he said, if you're wise, you'll learn from listening. So his example to me mm-hmm. always was, I could tell you, don't touch that stove, it's hot. And you could learn from listening and not touch the hot stove, or you could experience it and take your hand and put it on the stove and go, ah, man, I really should have listened. Experience. Did I learn that the stove was hot? Absolutely. Which one was a harder teacher? (laughs) That one was because now I have blisters all over my hands. So you'll learn either way, but a wise person usually listens and learns from the words that are spoken to them. That's great. Thank you for that nugget. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's awesome. And I wish I would have followed that when I was younger, uh, for sure. For your college experiences, is there anything that you would do differently if you had it all to do all over again? I think the only thing that I would do differently, I kind of spoke to a little bit before, is just be a better listener, value my classes a little bit more. Sometimes it was just, I was checking them off my list, like I have to get this class over. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like maybe I didn't connect with the professor as much as I did in certain other classes. And so I would not be quite as engaged, but every teacher, every professor that you have has something to offer. And if you can sit back and even if it's a science class, which I don't tend to love science, but having a class where maybe I was in the summer and learning, you know, we had to collect leaves and do different things about different trees, uh, learning how to sit back and enjoy the environment Mm -hmm. and nature. And so just, learning to listen and not just have a checkoff list, really say, what can I get from this class? What can I learn from this teacher? And not just, you know, kind of go through it robotically in a way. Go through the motions. Yes. We won't tell Miss Byers that you hate science. (laughs) She knows. (laughs) All my science friends know. I'm like, please don't ever make me teach science again. It's uh, we all have our, we all have our passions and things that we're good at and that we're, that we have a knack for. So exactly. Um, Is there any class that spoke to you most in college? Probably the class that spoke the most to me was probably my, uh, it was either my freshman English teacher. (laughs) She was very strict, but I learned how to write a paper Mm -hmm. really well in her class. And so I felt when I learned how to write it, that helped me to be a better teacher to learn how to teach it better. That one stuck out to me because I remember us even having to get primary sources for our papers and everything like that. So that was that was a really good experience. And probably my, believe it or not, my teaching science class mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, professor. But I think I enjoyed his class the most because 
he was an interesting professor. And so when you have an interesting professor, you, you soak up the information more. Yep. And so, um, his class was also in the afternoon and I'm not a morning person. So that could have been part of it as well, but I liked his teaching style. And so I feel like I took more from his teaching style and how to keep students engaged than I did from my other teachers who maybe taught a different, like how to teach reading or whatever. I didn't, I didn't learn as much from them because I wasn't as engaged. So, yeah, yeah. I think we've all seen students pick up on the passion or the style mm-hmm. or the sometimes the personality, the relationship of, that they have with a, with an instructor. And that, that can be really impactful more than content in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about a hero or a mentor? Yeah, that would be definitely hands down my mom. My parents are both amazing. My mom, um, as you get older, of course, you become more like friends, but she's definitely, she encompasses that wisdom that I long for as a parent, as, you know, as a teacher, she was one of those teachers that was just so loved and memorable because she did fun things in her class, got the kids interested. I remember her staying up late and working like on the floor with all the papers spread out. It just, even when we're together as a family, um, but she has this presence that when she walks into any room, she's like super joyful and just, you know, everybody's kind of attracted to the to the light that she shines because she loves all people. And both of my parents are like that, but my mom just exudes this love and just connects to anybody. And I feel like everywhere I went, I saw her display that. And, and it was just, I don't know how else to say it, but she just exudes that grace and love and everybody wants to feel loved and important and that someone cares about them. Someone believes in them. Mm -hmm. Um, have high expectations for them. And that's what she did. She just continues to pour into my life. Something I, and she's very slow to speak. That's something I struggle with still. (laughs) She, um, I just feel like the words that when she speaks, people listen because of her wisdom. So I, she's definitely been someone that I always look up to and try to be like, that's a pretty amazing tribute. Yeah. It's, uh, from what you, I don't know if I've ever met your mom, but, um, Sound like you're describing yourself in a lot of ways. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, a little chip off the old block there, Miss <laughs> Amos. Um, well, kudos to you. Uh, kudos, shout out to your mom. Thank sure. you. Is there a book or an article, anything that you're reading as a as a reform struggling reader yes, that you a- would recommend <laughs> to uh, to anyone? Yeah, actually, um, my friend who is a counselor, she recommended when COVID first started, she recommended this app that I should download is called uh, One Minute Pause. And it basically is just kind of like you're reflecting, you're handing over your worries. It's, it's Christian based. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, I'm casting my cares upon the Lord and not, you know, that was the most stressful time of, I think, everyone's lives. And um, I struggled even pausing for a minute when I first downloaded this app, because I was like, I don't have time. And, and she's, she would say, it's one minute. You think you can do one minute? And I started asking (laughs) Mrs. Byers, let's do this together. Should we pause for a minute? Mm -hmm. And it would kind of, um, it would alert you at 10 o'clock and at two o'clock it's time for your one minute pause. And, um, I started doing it also with my little girl at night, Ginger at nighttime, if she was worried, you know, all that change in school, all of a sudden it was, you know, you went from hugging your kindergarten teachers to sitting (laughs) six feet away from everybody. And, um, so that was a lot of change for kids too. And it just, it disrupted their 
safe environment as well. Even though we were healthy, safe, it was um, emotionally just, I had a lot of turmoil. So she had started asking for it. I said, let's do this at nighttime before she'd go to bed and just kind of relax her as well. And um, this app is is based on, there's a book that he wrote called Get Your Life Back. It's written by John Eldridge. And the, he talks about the impact of all the social media, all the things that, you know, you can get off a plane and you have like billboards and all these things, you know, we're, our mind is constantly being um, just flooded with advertisements, notifications. And he's, I mean, he asked some good questions. Like even with your phone, if you get a notification or a text, do you check it right away? I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he talked about just with all these constant flooding of our eyes being seen and our attention being grabbed, it's actually creating our brain not to be able to sit and be still. Um, it's impacting our ability to be able to read through a whole passage. And I think that's what's happening to our students too. We, you know, the younger they get, you know, we're putting devices in their hands and it, you know, obviously we have to, we, nobody has landlines anymore. <laughs> so you have right. cell phones, but, um, I think even trying to control the amount, um, do you ever, do you ever put limitations on it? Do you say, Hey, I'm going to put this down at eight o'clock and I'll check it in the morning. And some people be like, no way I can, I couldn't do that. And maybe you can't because of work or whatever, but um, do you ever fast from it? Do you ever take a time away and just sit outside and look at nature? Do you ever pick up a book? And I think that um, I've seen it in the classroom as well. And I've seen it in my own life, how my brain is being trained and triggered to just check every notification that I get, every text. And I've been trying since I've been reading this book to be still like, don't like stay in the moment where I am. Mm -hmm. If I'm in the middle of a conversation with my kid and I get an alert on my text, I don't have to look at my phone right away. I can stay engaged in my conversation with my children and teaching them to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. It, you know, we're at the table, put your phone up. We don't need to check it. I think that in the classroom too, you'll, I've seen a lot more of it. Um, just the more that they're on the computers and on their phones, it's harder to keep the kids engaged, which is why I think we have to have so much movement, but it's also, you have to train them as well. Hey, we're going to get to a point where we have to read through this entire chapter, this entire passage. You're going to have a test at the end of the year. That's going to be way too long, um, for any human, but let's start training that for this marathon that we're going to be doing. And mm -hmm. so learning how to bring them back to that is really good. And, um, it's a great book. I haven't finished it yet, but I've already tried to start implementing some of the things he's recommending and just being still and trying to sit back, not be driven by my phone and my notifications and my social media. So that's been a good thing for me to read this summer. It's great. And you are not a paid advertisement for this book. You can confirm, <laughs> right? I can, I can confirm for sure. It's, it's always, uh, I think it's always interesting to talk to people that you respect about what they're consuming and what they're reading and how it's, how it's impacting them in their personal lives. And I know that's a lot of what you just shared is our concerns that all, a lot of parents share and technology has definitely had a huge impact on all of us. Absolutely. And it's been an interesting couple of years. So, yeah. um, but that's, that's great. And a great reminder that somebody that I listen to as a leadership person is fond of saying time is the, is the thing that makes us all equal. We have the exact same amount of time. And so if you're 
too busy to do anything that's because of your scheduling and your like the, mm-hmm. the priorities that you have in your life. So good to remember as well. Before we wrap up, is there any music that you're listening to right now that you would recommend anything under the sun oh my goodness um i usually listen to worship music at home when i'm here at school i put on a 60s 70s and 80s mix always on my pandora okay and that's what kids walk into every day in the sixth grade hallway because i usually don't have to worry about the lyrics <laughs> some Fair of enough. the 80s songs i have to, I have to skip <laughs> is there anything is there anything 60s and 70s that is like the preferred jam of our current sixth graders? Oh, my goodness. The funny thing is when now some of those songs will play in like a movie or something like that, the right. kids will know the words because they'll hear it. <laughs> my son, I can't remember what song it was the other day. Oh, it was Run Around Sue. And yeah. and my son was like, oh, I like started singing the song. I was like, man, you know. There's no. I, <laughs> I mean, wow. So, yeah. There's, there's hope for the, for the future. <laughs> um, cool. Favorite pizza topping. I'm, um, I'm assuming that you like pizza. Or I love pizza. pizza. Yes. I would like it thin crust, preferably okay. with mushrooms and onions on it. Mushrooms and onions. Yeah. All right. That's Perfect. why nobody wants to share with me in my home. <laughs> I usually just have to have cheese. What's, uh, if you're not making it at home, what's, what's the best place? And I, and, I do like to avoid making anything at home. I'm a horrible cook. Okay. That is something that can go down on my notes. Um, uh, if I'm not cooking at home, where would I be eating? And oh, wherever man. you're this, I'm putting you on the spot here, which is kind of the point of a podcast. But <laughs> if you, if you're. Yeah. If I, I mean, I love a lot of the locals. I would go to Fresh Chef or Joey's or Sports Page, anywhere where I can get anything. Mushrooms and <laughs> Exactly. Awesome. Anything where I get mushrooms and onions on something. Okay. Awesome. Is there anything that you'd like to brag about or promote or anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Hmm. I try to tell my children, let other people praise you and not your own lips because <laughs> good advice. you always feel bad after you say something good about yourself. No. Um, I'm just thankful for life and I'm um, thankful that... God's given me life and the ability to be able to teach and I've got a great family. So I guess I can brag about that. I'm thankful that I have a family that loves me. We love each other. And, um, yeah. So it's always something I can rest in is knowing that I've got a solid family unit. So this, I think that's a great way to wrap this up. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. Thank you to Miss Amos for your time and your wisdom and I definitely learned something today, uh, more, maybe more than one thing. Just want to say I can always count on you in a genuine, authentic smile Thank whenever <laughs> I see you around your colleagues and our students. So I really appreciate your hard work and all that you do to help make Lincoln Charter a great place. Thank you. All right, folks, that is it for this episode. I hope you will tune in to future episodes. Thank you again to Miss Amos for her coming in today and we'll see you next time. I want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers for taking the time to listen to the edge of the airy. Like everything at Lincoln Charter, it takes a great team to make this podcast happen. The edge of the airy is produced by Jonathan Bryant and Taylor Helms and Miss Helms is also our senior editor. 
Graphics and artwork are by Melissa Lasarski, and our music is brought to you by Next Mike, who you may also know as Michael Paulino Albin. Our team uses the free Anchor app to create each episode, which is found at anchor.fm. You can listen to this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Feel free to rate or review the podcast. It may help others to discover this content. This is Jonathan Bryant signing off until next time.